doing church? Everybody good? Before I get into the preacher king and I can tell you guys have showed up in mass today even on a graduation weekend in this area. Thank you. Just your presence and your energy here at the Durham campus and I'm sure at all the other campuses speaks volumes to your heart and your desire to be agents of change and reconciliation. But before I even get into that, it, it would be uh, remiss of me not to honor the beautiful mothers at all of our campuses. And so, I knew you would go into that. So, but let me, let me I, want you, I want you to keep that going in just a moment. If you are a mother, I want you to stand at all of our campuses. I'm talking about mothers in Kenya, Thikatown, Kenya, Columbia, South Carolina, Sanford, North Carolina, Hillsboro moms, Durham moms, Coffee House, North Durham, North Raleigh, Garner, Durham campus, and the Internet campus, 10 campuses. If you are a mom, stand up and stay standing. You are some of the most amazing, beautiful, faithful, some of the best moms on the planet are right here at New Hope Church. And so at all the campuses on the count of three, just let them know how much, listen, if it weren't for them, you wouldn't even be here. <laughs> let me just, let me just say, come on. So give it up for the moms. One, two, three, go. Thank you, moms. All right. So we're starting a series, as you know, titled The Preacher King. And I titled the series that for a reason. Because I love who Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was as a person. I love him who he was as a civil rights activist. I love him as who he was to change the conscience of a nation. But let me be crystal clear on the very front end of this message. What I liked most about Dr. King is that he was a preacher of the gospel. And sometimes our culture and mainstream media will try to change and convert him into something else. But listen, he was 
a preacher. I spent an entire year at Duke University in the hallowed halls of Duke Divinity School basement, huddled up in a small little classroom with about 10 to 12 other students. And for an entire year, we listened to cassette tape after cassette tape after cassette tape. Young people are saying, what in the world is a cassette tape? Google it. I'm not even going to answer it. And we listened and we huddled around this little old tape player. We'd stick them in. You had to stick them in, young person. And you had to, you had to close the, 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 the flap and you had to hit play. And we, we were on sacred ground. And I, I can remember leaving many times walking through the quad there at Duke, speechless of the preacher king. And so as you light up social media about this series, and I hope you will, it's hashtag the preacher king. Not the civil rights activist, not a politician. Oh, Lord, help us. He was a preacher of the gospel. Don't take my word for it. King said this, in the quiet recesses of my heart, I am fundamentally a clergyman, a Baptist preacher. Not the kind of Baptist preacher <laughs> some of you grew up around. <laughs> Different Baptist traditions. <laughs> Had to just get that out there. <laughs> Martin Luther King was proud of his title, preacher. Moreover, he believed, listen, that his religious vocation was essential to the healing of our nation. To him, the preacher symbolized the combination of political and spiritual wisdom that his own church had always required of its leaders. Like the ministers of no other tradition, white folk, brown folk, listen, listen closely. Like the ministers of no other tradition, the African-American preacher harnessed practical necessities to religious power. The black preacher fought for the kingdom of God every day of the week and then celebrated it powerfully and even poetically on Sundays. The same one who flexed his muscle in the neighborhood could speak with the tongues of angels on the church, in the church on Sundays. And King seized upon this partnership of political acumen and religious eloquence, which as a black man, hello, as a southerner on top of that, as a Baptist on top of that, he had inherited a rich tradition to put to work on America's enduring problem, sin problem of racism. Now, most of these messages that you're going to hear today and next week and the following week are King's messages. They're not my messages. In fact, we're getting ready to take you to Selma, Alabama, in the shadows of one of the most iconic bridges in America, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, where I preached King's message and I would every now and then insert some of my theological understandings or passion or stories for what it means to live out this message in the 21st century. But listen, I wanted you to hear 
from Dr. King. Not me. You hear from me almost every Sunday. I wanted you to hear from the preacher king. And before we go to Selma, Alabama, let me just talk for a moment about why I'm doing this series. Number one, as you can tell from our church, we're a multi-ethnic church, one of the most racially diverse churches in America. Come on, yeah. Absolutely, praise God. It was intentional from day one. I never wanted to pastor a lily white church. Let me go theological for you. Not because I wanted a beautifully diverse church, which I did, but because this is God's way. God is a creator God. And if God created all people, all colors, that means God loves all people. So at the end of the day, yeah, yeah, I love it. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, racism is not a skin problem. Racism is a sin problem. And so we said, you know what? We, this area, I graduated from Duke. I looked at the area. I said, this area needs a multi-ethnic, fully diverse church so that when we stand before the throne of God, we will represent all of God's beauty and created diversity. But, but, but it doesn't change the fact that I stand before you today as a white man talking about this subject. And some of you love that. Others of you are intrigued by that. And others of you might wonder, can he really talk about such matters? I get it. I'm a white man. I've never known the hatred and the bitterness and the sinfulness of racism. I've never walked into a department store and had people watch me because the color of my skin. I've never had to have, and I have five children, I never had to have the talk with my children that many of you have to have with your children. I get that. And I get that I have lived one of the most privileged position that any human being can live in America, that is being a white man. And if you are a white man and you don't think that's reality, bless your heart. If you don't know what bless your heart means, just <laughs> come see me after church and at the campuses, go see a campus pastor. They'll, they'll, they'll explain to you what bless your heart means. But hold tight, hold tight. Even though I shall never know, God put a hatred in my heart at a very young age of racism. I grew up in Sumter, South Carolina. There were and there still are today KKK outposts in and around Sumter and Pinewood, South Carolina. 
I saw it and I hated it from day one. I know hate's a strong word, forgive me. We'll go, we'll go the right way. We'll, let's call it um, righteous anger towards racism. And if it's okay with you, even though I'm white, and even though I've lived in this privileged position, I refuse to let my whiteness prevent me from speaking out against social injustice and racism in America. It's, it's a calling. That's the only way I can describe it. It is a calling from God. There is a fire in my bones that I can't shut up. So do what you do, New Hope Church. Give honor where honor is due. Welcome. He might have been assassinated, but he is still a mentor of mine and he is still one of the greatest preachers of all time. Give honor where honor is due. Honor the word of God and the late great Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. said this, there comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe, nor political, nor popular, but he must take it because his conscience tells him it is right. King was rooted and discipled at a young age, and he learned of such conscience in the church. Martin Luther King Jr. was born at noon on Tuesday, January 15, 1929, at the family home on Auburn Avenue in Northeast Atlanta, Georgia. They now call it Sweet Auburn. It is a place that to this day represents a rich African-American heritage and a place where King grew as a young child. Martin was the first son and second child born to the Reverend Martin Luther King and Alberta Williams King. He married the former Coretta Scott in Marion, Alabama on June 18, 1953. Dr. and Miss King had four children, two being born in Atlanta and two being born in Montgomery, Alabama. Martin Luther King Jr. was naturally intelligent and followed that up with an impressive educational resume. Having skipped both the ninth and 12th grades, Dr. King entered Morehouse College at the young age of 15. In 1948, he graduated from Morehouse College with a BA degree in sociology. That fall, he enrolled in Crozer Theological Seminary in Chester, Pennsylvania. He won the Pearl Flacker Award for the most outstanding student, and he received the J. Lewis Crozer Fellowship for Graduate Study and was awarded a Bachelor of Divinity degree in 1951 and began his doctoral studies in systematic theology at Boston University. A doctorate of philosophy in systematic theology was awarded on June 5, 1955. Dr. King was a brilliant mind who pursued outstanding educational endeavors. It was in these early years of upbringing in Atlanta, attending his daddy's church, Ebenezer Baptist, and his impressive education that rooted Dr. King and gave fertile soil for the birth of a conscience and ultimately a dream. 
a dream that I might add was always rooted in the Bible. Seeds from God's word were planted in the fertile soil of a young Martin, and therein God planted and brought forth the preacher king. The first message that we're going to do in this series titled, But If Not, But If Not. He delivered this sermon at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. This is where King was discipled and rooted. This is where his father, who they called Daddy King, preached. And it's where Martin Luther King Jr.'s grandfather preached together. His daddy and his granddaddy preached at this church for 80 years. This is where the preacher King delivered his very first sermon. And this particular sermon is grounded in Daniel chapter 3. So go ahead and open up your Bibles, grab your teaching notes to Daniel chapter three. King would say this, again, this is his words and not mine. There was a day when many of the Israelites found themselves in bondage in Babylon. There was a king of Babylon by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. You read about him a good deal in the book of Daniel, and it stands as an epic that will remain stenciled on the mental sheets of unfolding generations. Now, let me just pause right there. This is one of the things that made King stand out so much. He was the master wordsmith. No one could capture and create and sling a phrase quite like the preacher King. Let me, let me say it again. He says this, you read about him a good deal in the book of Daniel, and it stands as an epic, listen, that will remain stenciled on the mental sheets of unfolding generations. Unbelievable phrase. He goes on, Nebuchadnezzar was a mighty king, and when he ruled, he ruled and he issued an order. He meant business. He made a gold image, and his order was that everybody under the reign of his kingship must bow down before that golden image and worship it. Now, those of you who read the Bible, you remember the story. It is intense with drama. Preacher King continues, one day Nebuchadnezzar called in the judges and the governors and the sheriffs, and they had a dedicatory service for this golden image. And then he said to them, you'll find this in verse four and five, and you'll see it on the screens as well. Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music. I'm instructing you to see that everybody bows down before this golden image. But there were three young men around there. One's name was Shadrach, the other's name was Meshach, and the other was Abednego. And they answered, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this manner. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hands, O king. In other words, this is, this is Pastor Benji and not Preacher King. These old boys looked at old King Neb and basically said, in your face, we will not bow down and worship this golden image. 
Look at verses 16 through 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, I want you to notice first, these young men practiced civil disobedience. Civil disobedience is the refusal to abide by an order of the government or of the state or even of the court that your conscience tells you is unjust. Civil disobedience is based on a commitment to conscience. In other words, one who practices civil disobedience is obedient to what he considers is a higher law. Now for Dr. King, this was critical. And for the preacher King, the higher law was the word of God. He says this, and there comes a time when a moral man can't obey a law which his conscience tells him is unjust. And I tell you this morning, my friends, that history has moved on and great moments have often come forth because there were those individuals in every age and every generation who were willing to say, I will be obedient to a higher law. These men were saying, look in your notes, I must be disobedient to a king in order to be obedient to the king. Oh my, you gotta love this. Preacher King is, he's preaching now. He says, listen, I will be disobedient to an earthly king in order to be obedient to the king. And those people who so often criticize those of us who come to those moments when we practice civil disobedience, even right here in America, in order to get free from the oppression and the colonialism of the British Empire, our very nation practiced civil disobedience. For what represented civil disobedience more than the Boston Tea Party? Now notice what King does here, church. He goes back into our history to build the case for the future. This is very Pauline. Paul would do this often in the New Testament. Paul would often look back to salvation history, telling people to remember what took place. Kind of like we stand here today and we remember the historic and even iconic Edmund Pettus Bridge. He would look back to create the future. He continues, and never forget that everything that Hitler did in Germany was legal. It was legal to do everything that Hitler did to the Jews. It was a law in Germany that Hitler issued himself that it was wrong and illegal to aid and comfort a Jew in Hitler's Germany. But I tell you, if I had lived in Hitler's Germany with my attitude, I would have openly broken that law. I would have practiced civil disobedience. The preacher king would say this, and again, you'll see this on your screens. And so it is important to see that there are times when a man-made law is out of harmony with the moral law of the universe. There are times when human law is out of harmony with the eternal and divine laws. And when that happens, you have an obligation to break it. 
and I'm happy that in breaking it, I have had some good company. I have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I have Jesus and Socrates, and I have all of the early Christians who refused to bow. Oh my church, the preacher king is preaching now. He says this, now, second interesting point is that these men never doubted God and his power. As they did what they did, they made it very clear that they knew that God had the power to spare them. They said to the king, now we know that the God we worship is able to deliver us. Read that with me, church. Let's read it again. Ready? Go. Now we know that the God that we worship is able to deliver us. And that grew out of their experience. They had known God. They had experienced God in nature and they knew God as the creator. And then they had seen God in history. And then they had seen God, I'm sure, in their personal lives. They never doubted God's power to deliver them. But let me move on to the basic point of the message, the preacher says. Know this morning, if we forget everything I've said, I hope you won't forget this. It came to the point after saying, our God is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And then we find three words, but if not. But if not, we still are not going to bow. But if not, do you get that? These men were saying our faith is so deep and that we found something so dear and so precious that nothing can turn us away from it. Our God is able to deliver us, but if not, that simply means, my friends, that the ultimate test of one's faith is his ability to say, but if not. Say it with me one more time. But if not. King goes on and he, he talks about the difference between if and though faith. If and though. This is so good, church. In his words, you see, there is what you may call an if faith, and there is a though faith. And the permanent faith, the lasting faith, the powerful faith is the though faith. He says, now the if faith says, if all goes well, if life is hopeful, prosperous, and happy, if I don't have to go to jail, if I don't have to face the agonies and the burdens of life, if I'm not called bad names because of taking a stand that I feel that I must take, if none of these things happen, then I'll have faith in God, then I'll be all right. That's an if kind of faith. Though faith, King says, is very different. There is a though faith, though. And the though faith says, Though things go wrong, though evil is temporarily triumphant, though I might go to jail, though I might look like evil will win, though sickness comes and the cross looms, nevertheless, I'm going to believe anyway, and I'm going to have faith anyway. 
Though the waters therefore roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake and the swelling thereof, the Lord of hosts is with us. God is still our refuge. Let me take a time out here just to tell you a little story about New Hope's history. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. We were in the United Methodist Church and we were getting ready to launch the church just several months out from our grand opening, January 2002. And because of a vision clash between the bishops and the district superintendent's vision for New Hope Church and our vision for New Hope Church, we got called into a meeting and we were basically told New Hope Church is not going to happen. We were told your new appointment, Benji, is not New Hope Church, but your new appointment is Nightdale United Methodist Church in Nightdale, North Carolina. I met that day with the bishop and 12 district superintendents. When they told me that, I took a deep breath, church, and the Holy Spirit came over me and I looked at the bishop and I looked at his 12 district superintendents. Think about the numbering, it was kind of peculiar. And I took a deep breath and I said, Bishop, I pray in your position of authority and power, you have not forgotten that we serve a God who hung the stars in the sky and owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We are going to start New Hope Church with or without you. I said, Bishop, you've been asking me for two years to start this church. I've gathered a group of people and we are getting ready to launch it two months from now. What was I doing in that very moment? What was the core team doing in that very moment? We were basically saying, listen, Bishop, though you might not go with us, though you might pull all of our funding, though you might take the funds that I had raised, $160,000 to be exact. Though the storm was raging, we looked at the Bishop and we said, hey, we're gonna follow God. Because Jesus said, if you put your hand to the plow and you take it away, you're not fit for the kingdom. And I'm telling you that when the history of New Hope is written, that will go down as a defining moment because we declare deep in our heart, I didn't even have these words in front of me at that point in time, but that was a though kind of faith, not an if kind of faith. If God does this or if it's easy, if it's comfortable, I'm going to follow. No, 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 no. Church, we follow a God who calls us to embrace a though kind of faith. And I know that when I first read this message by Dr. King, it reminded me of that defining moment. You are here today because your leadership and the early followers, the early leaders of New Hope said, even though times are tough, even though we have no idea how this is going to work out, we're gonna trust God and we're gonna follow God. And do you know that just two months later, we launched this church on January 27th, 2002, and 607 people showed up on grand opening day and we've never turned back. We serve a God who tells us to press on even though the times might get difficult. King says this in his sermon, you know what this says in substance that ultimately religion is not a bargaining matter. A lot of people bargain with God. 
If you just let me avoid paying, God, if you allow me to be happy in all of its dimensions, if you don't allow me any suffering, if you don't allow frustrating moments to come, then I'll be all right. I'll give you a tenth of my income, and I'll go to church, and I'll have faith in you. That's an if kind of faith. The preacher king would say, but religion is not a bargaining experience. It's not a commercial relationship. These things are not based on if, they're based on though. So as your pastor today, let me jump off a of King's script and let me ask you this question. Do you have a though faith? Or do you have an if faith? Is your obedience to God, is your relationship with God contingent upon God jumping through certain hoops so that your life is comfortable and convenient? Or might we learn today in the shadows of the Edmund Pettus Bridge that sometimes life gets hard. Remember Bloody Sunday? Sometimes life is difficult, even though those who know God and walk with God follow him even in the midst of the storms. Preacher King says, and I want to say to you this morning, my friends, that somewhere along the way you should discover that something is so dear Something is so precious to you that it is so eternally worthful that you will never give up. You ought to discover some principle. You ought to have some great faith that grips you so much that you will never give up. Somehow you go on and you say, I know that the God I worship is able to deliver me, but if not... I'm going on anyhow. I'm going to stand up for it anyhow. What does this mean? King says it means this. In the final analysis, you do right not to avoid hell. If you're doing right merely to keep from going to something that traditional theology has called hell, then you aren't doing right. If you do right merely to go to a condition that theologians have called heaven, you aren't doing right. If you do right to avoid pain and to achieve happiness and pleasure, then you aren't doing right. The preacher king said this one time, the time is always right to do right. And you gotta say, but if not, you must love ultimately because it's lovely to love. You must be just because it's right to be just. You must be honest because it's right to be honest. This is what this text is saying more than anything else. And finally, you must do it because it has gripped you so much that you are willing to die if it's necessary. And I say to you this morning that if you have never found something so dear, and so precious to you that you will die for it, then you aren't fit to live. Hello. If you have never found something so dear and so precious to you that you will die for it, King says, then you aren't fit to live. Wow. 
You may be 38 years old as I happen to be, and one day some great opportunity stands before you and calls upon you to stand up for some great principle, some great issue, some great cause, and you refuse to do it because you are afraid. You refuse to do it because you want to live longer. You're afraid that you will lose your job, or you're afraid that you will be criticized, or that you will lose your popularity, or you're afraid that somebody will stab you, or shoot you, or bomb your house, and so you refuse to take the stand. Well, you may go on and live until you are 90, but you're just as dead at 38 as you would be at 90. And the succession of breathing in your life is but the belated announcement of an earlier death of the Spirit. Listen to what he says here, church. You died when you refused to stand up for what is right. You died when you refused to stand up for truth. You died when you refused to stand up for justice. These three boys stand before us today and I thank God for them, for they had found something. The fiery furnace couldn't stop them from believing. They said, throw us into the fiery furnace. But you know the interesting thing is, the Bible talks to us about a miracle because they had a faith enough to say, but if not, God was with them as an eternal companion. And this is what I want to say finally, that there is a reward if you do what is right and righteous. He says, somehow that burning fiery furnace was turned into an air-conditioned living room. Old Neb looked in there and said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. Don't ever think that you're by yourself, King would say. Go on to jail if necessary, but you'll never go alone. Take a stand for that which is right, and the world may misunderstand you and criticize you, but you never go alone. For somewhere I read that one with God is a majority, and God has a way of transforming a minority into a majority. Walk with him this morning and believe in him and do what is right and he'll be with you even until the consummation of the ages. Yes, I've seen the lightning flash. I've heard the thunder roll. I've felt sin's breakers dashing and trying to conquer my soul. But I have heard the voice of Jesus saying, still fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone, no, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Where are you going this morning, my friends? Tell the world that you're going with truth. You're going with justice. You're going with goodness. You will have an eternal companionship and the world will look at you. And they will understand you for your fiery furnace will be around you. But you go on anyhow. But if not, 
I will not bow. God grant that we will never bow before the gods of evil. God grant. I love that you're standing. Stay standing. I love that. If you're here today at all of our campuses and you would declare in the words of King, may God grant that we will never bow to the little G gods of evil. Would you just stand to your feet? Yeah. Never, no, never. But if not, I'm gonna follow you, God. Do you have an if faith or a though faith? That's a question for you. Some folks have kind of asked me a few times here recently, what's our next step as a church, pastor? What's our next step? Here's our next step. Hear the word of God and apply it. Sometimes we make it way too complicated. Hear the preacher king and apply it. But if not, Not an if faith, God, if you do this, God, if my life is comfortable, if it's convenient, if I have smooth sailing, if I feel like, no, no, no. Even though times might get hard, even though my family might ridicule me for being inclusive, even though friends might look at me like I'm crazy because I'm doing life with people who look differently than me, even though I'm going to follow God and do what is right. This is what is right. Because a man named Martin Luther King said it one day. No, 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 no. Because God's word says it. God's word says that there is neither slave nor free. There is rich nor poor. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Black, white, brown, white. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And I'm so proud of you, church, at all of our campuses. I'm so proud of how you are in this moment. I just, I I gotta say that. You're the most beautiful, faithful church on the planet that I've ever even dreamed of in my wildest dreams being able to serve. Let's keep getting this. Let's keep being a beacon of faith, hope, and love in the Carolinas and Kenya. Let's keep showing the world that we can really love one another, doing life deeply, not just coming to church together. What's our next level? Here's our next level. What would it look like if we just really started doing life together? Regardless of what comes our way, even though we're gonna follow you, God. We're gonna live out John 17. And we're going to become one. 
I'm gonna pray real quickly and I'm gonna ask that all of our campuses don't head for the door because we're doing a song that puts an exclamation point on this whole deal today. Christ is enough. And in that song, we as a church started throwing in that old tag, I have decided to follow Jesus. And it's the perfect song. Even though I might be ridiculed, even though life might get hard, even though the workplace might not agree with this, even though the, the country, and by the way, we're going into the summer months, get ready. It always happens. Racial tensions are gonna flare up in America. You're gonna see it, trust me. There's your prophecy. That's why what we do is so important. We are declaring to the world every Sunday in church, and I'm praying more and more every day in our homes and every day in our workplaces, we are declaring as a new hope people of God, we are going to stand for truth. We are going to stand for justice for all. We are going to stand for equality for all. And we are going to do life with all of God's people. So stay put at all of our campuses and let's declare this just as loud as we sang earlier. Let's declare Christ is enough and I'm gonna follow him and be an agent of reconciliation. Father God, we love you today. I thank you for this church. Lord, I stand in awe. So honored to know and love and serve such a beautifully faithful, diverse people of God. God, help us apply this word. Help us leave today at all of our campuses declaring, I have decided to follow Jesus because Jesus is enough. And Lord, let us be a people of God that do not pander to a, a thin and flimsy if kind of faith. Let us be a people of God grounded in the truth that would declare to you, Lord God, even though times might be tough, we are going to stand with the preacher king and we are going to model for America and the world that all of God's people, black man, white man, brown man, all of us can live together in peace and harmony and justice and love. And the people of God declared together, amen and amen. Let's sing it, church.